Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. Home. Uh, long homestand for me, Chris Anderson. Last time I had a road trip. I, do you have to pay to stay at your own home, or is the Big 12 Conference helping split those costs for you? It's funny. I was supposed to be home for some time, and then something crazy happened, and then I'm home for a lot longer than expected, and I just complain about it a lot. <laughs> well, hey, you might not be for too much longer. Um, might be sticking you back out on the road, making you cover sports yeah. in person. Not going to load. We'll see. Not spoil it yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. I think the team is going places. There's a chance that I follow them. That's all we'll say. Kansas City? No. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. We'll see. I don't even know who's allowed into these places here. That's the other part. So getting the phone call and being asked about it or whatever was kind of, I don't know, I feel alive again. That's good. Uh huh. Yeah, it it is weird because, I mean, heck, we still don't know about. Spring, I guess this is part of the question. One of the questions will be in the mailbag about spring football. Nothing's been announced yet. We still don't know how what our access will be like for that. Are we going to be able to have people there? Are we going to be able to have photographers, video interviews, or is it just going to be you guys stay home and we'll share some photos with you and zoom later, like they, like you know, like it was in fall camp? We don't know yet. There's a chance that spring football is going on right now. They just haven't told us. <laughs> it's 50 50. Wait, you're not out there with your telescope and, and spying on him, Mike? Come on, man. Well, I could get I could get the binoculars out and go down to the end of the road, and I could literally see into the practice field. But they have put up some sort of a um, uh, wrap on the fence that makes it a little bit more difficult. And now someone lives in that house that used to be vacant, so I can no longer sit on their back deck and spy on them. Oh, uh, what am I talking about? Oh, that, didn't, that never happened. Never. Never. Anyhow, basketball continues. 7 p.m. game, ESPN2 tonight against TCU. Um, I don't know if this is dangerous or not. I just know the TCU lost to Kansas State. Kansas State had lost 13 games in a row. I just didn't even have a pulse and won at TCU. Part of me thinks that this is one of those games that in the past becomes unnecessarily difficult, and it's 61-61 with two minutes left, and you're thinking, how did this happen, right? And then part of me thinks that this is probably going to be 81 to 70 and that West Virginia should take care of his business. I'm prepared for anything tonight, except I just don't know how you keep West Virginia to 61 points in 38 minutes of basketball to make it close at the end. But I've been told that this is difficult right now and that no one's doing what West Virginia is doing. Perhaps the law of averages just catches up. I'm nevertheless intrigued. I don't think TCU's very good, never mind any good. Um, and I think West Virginia has proven itself to be worthy of top 10 seeding. And I don't know, I mean, we're, we're talking about the difference between a two and a three line in the NCAA tournament. What does it matter? Not a whole lot. Three and four is different, obviously, but yeah, be getting that group. But this is something that certainly would determine two, three, three, four, if you don't take care of business tonight. Right. You, you've mentioned it right there. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Two and three, nah, whatever. Yeah. You know, that is what it is, but the difference between three and four can be substantial just because I think we've seen that those teams that are going to be one seeds, uh, like especially with a Gonzaga or a Baylor, might be significantly better, significantly more difficult to beat than another three seed. Like I feel West Virginia hasn't beaten Oklahoma yet, uh, but I feel like they are far more beatable than, uh, say, playing Gonzaga or Baylor and, and Oklahoma is currently online to be on the three seed. So uh, it, it's important to maybe not as important to get to the two line as it is to stay off the four line. I don't want to ever really get into the, here's some stuff about a thing I wrote on the podcast, but I do think that this is kind of significant. Um, West Virginia with one win will match the most road wins and the most conference road wins in a season under Bob Huggins. They've won seven road games before, and they've won six Big 12 and Big East road games. Um, they're five and one right now on the road. Is that right? Five and two? Five and two, I thought. Yeah. Okay, five and two in the road. I'm trying to do the math in my head. So five and two. So listen, they have a chance to actually set records for Huggins era for road wins, period, and conference road wins with, uh, I guess it would be eight and seven, which is pretty important stuff because 
they were terrible on the road their previous two years. Uh, last season, four and eight, and then two and seven with a six game losing streak in Big 12 play. And mm-hmm. the year before, of course, 0 and 10, which included 0 and nine on the road. So nobody on this team has won at TCU. Nobody on this team has won at Baylor. But similarly, nobody on this team had won at Kansas State, Texas, or Texas Tech. And guess what, Chris? They won all three of them. Likelihood here of 2-0, and 1-1, 0-2. How do you uh, handicap this? I think the absolute worst thing that could have happened, if I'm Bob Huggins, I'm absolutely furious that TCU lost to Kansas State. Because I think you could have, you know, you're making the point that, hey, this TCU team can be dangerous. Hey, this TCU team, you can have a tough time beating them. And then they go out and, as you mentioned, lose to a completely and utterly pathetic Kansas State team. Sorry, K-State fans that might be listening. But that that team is, has been terrible. Um, and then TCU loses to them. So, uh, and I know players say they don't pay attention. I know they say they don't care. But they it's there. It's in the back of their minds. You can tell. We've seen it before where you, you might take an opponent too easy. And if you sit there and watch TCU lose to a Kansas State team that hasn't beaten anybody but Iowa State in Big 12 play, you, you might take your foot off the gas a little bit, and, and that is concerning. But I think this is one where West Virginia, like you said, I'm I'm prepared for that 61-61 and two minutes left, and, and Culver's already fouled out, and Sean McNeil is one for seven. Taz Sherman's one for seven. And you're just Bob Huggins over there just praying for McBride to kind of just finish this game off and, and, and move on. That gym is not fun to play or shoot in. People have told me before. The floor is weird because they have like the horn frog poison three point line. Yeah. It's like scales, like frog scales on the right. floor. You're, you're just not used to it. And then. It's it's a difficult depth thing because the tiers in the background are unusual. Um, and if, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've been there, but it's not perpendicular. Like the court is kind of like half rotated from the rest of the arena. So you're not like square or excuse me, rectangle court in a round arena. It's kind of off skew, skew a little bit. So your, your angles are gooped up. I've just had players. I've never played there, but I've had players some before. That's not a fun place to play. And every now and then it gets loud in there too. The floor, the fans are on the floor. Not to worry about that this year, but it's been difficult for them um, in the past. So I don't know. Could be could be interesting. Could be a blowout. Who knows? We'll see. I do think that's human nature for West Virginia to look at the schedule and be like, when can I get a breath? Because they probably want a breath right about now. And <laughs> here comes TCU, which uh, it looks like they can give them a breather, but probably isn't going to want to you know lay down on their home floor against a team that they have a three game winning streak against at home. So that should be good. And no, don't forget, they beat them by thirty one there two years ago. So they um they, they know they can beat West Virginia at home, but different cast on both sides. So we'll see. Obviously, the season changes a bunch for West Virginia at different times during the season. They can uh, prevent that from happening because I think the whole dialogue changes about all the good stuff they've done. If they don't win this one, every game's important. This one, even if it doesn't seem important, is pretty important. Um, really quickly before we go into questions, anything changing in the Big 12 for you? Because Texas Tech showed me their best win. Texas. Really bad signs there. All of a sudden, you're looking at a team that two, a couple of teams that kind of like made this a, a brutal conference, and then this the season happens and everything kind of gets sorted out. And now I'm looking at who knows with Baylor. Oh my gosh, Kansas is the best team. Oklahoma, West Virginia. I don't know what to make of Texas Tech, TCU, and I think Oklahoma State's probably pretty good. And I have no idea if they'll be in the postseason or not. Yeah, I, the Texas thing is worrisome very worrisome yeah i mentioned it during during the game you know hey two guys getting into an argument on a team that's going to happen that's going to happen in a regular season especially in the middle or later in the season when you're playing a tough game and i can't imagine how much more pressure there is now with all the covid and, and pandemic stuff going on and how they have to deal with this but the thing that was alarming to me about that fight that altercation against there no punches thrown so i don't want to call it a fight but go back and watch that replay and see how the rest of the team reacts because they get started and there's like one or two assistant coaches and maybe one player trying to keep them apart. And then there's six other players that just look at it. Uh, Jericho Sims is the one I'm specifically thinking about because they got a close up of his face during this. And he just looks over 
rolls his eyes and then just keeps walking. Doesn't even try to like get in the middle of it. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't do anything. Just this look of, ah, oh, hell, here we go again. Like this is happening a lot. Like they, this isn't the first time this has happened. This isn't the first time that these two guys have had issues or the first time that say Ramey or Jones or one of, one of them, maybe not both of them have, have caused a problem and they're just done with it. Like just, ugh, this is ugh, really again and just roll their eyes, sag their shoulders and walk off. And that is concerning. That's concerning. Uh, senior guards too, you know, older guys who are supposed to know better. You want to have senior guards, and if you can't count on them, that's that's problematic too because um, you need direction from somebody. If it's not coming from the sideline, if it's not coming from your guards, where are you going to? Uh, Texas Tech had the three game break because postponements against Baylor and then two against TCU, and they did not play from. They lost to West Virginia on the ninth of February. They didn't play again until the twentieth. They've lost two games since then. They do have good wins. They they swept Oklahoma. That's pretty good. But they've been swept by Oklahoma State. They couldn't get Kansas or West Virginia. Um, lost to Baylor. Forgive them for that. But just kind of an eh season where they have good wins. And I, I read something today. They're the only – sorry, friend from Evan Miyakawa. They're the only top 60 team without a quad one win. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. And then Texas just – since losing, since beating West Virginia is three and five, and the wins are against TCU and Iowa State. Mm. So reality setting in for some of these teams, and we'll have yeah. a good sense of it again the next 48 hours because they play the Horn Frogs at 7 10 on ESPN2, and then allegedly Baylor. No idea what channel or what game, and I just I can't believe that. There's some whispers that maybe it'll be a 6 p.m. Eastern start. That's better than nine, better than seven, even. Well, I think um, they listed it at five o'clock. On by the way, is that Not, Central or Eastern? On uh, Eastern time, five okay, o'clock Eastern better. time, according to again West Virginia. There, we've seen no official release, no comment from the Big Twelve, no comment from WVU, no actual comment from Baylor. But the Baylor official site listed it as four p.m. Central, and now it's showing up on ESPN as five p.m. Eastern. But I, I do not see a channel yet. I don't believe so. Truly playing it by ear, Mike. Just you know, whenever we'll just just play this game, whatever. No, ESPN, ESPN two at five o'clock. Official, I guess it's it it is listed on the official Baylor website of four p.m. Central, five p.m. Eastern on ESPN two on Thursday. I do not have an email. I do not either. But I working with what we got, I guess. Oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> Well, let's work with what we have here in our Q&A submission online, our subscribers on the VIP side. Submit questions, and are we still doing the 50% off? Yeah, I was going to say, get that promo in there, because it, it's insane. Let's just take a second and do some hard selling. Uh, NFL, college basketball, college football, Champions League. I believe there's some... MMA in there for like not UFC, but some of the lower brands or different brands are in there as well that you can find on there. And then just that, that's just from the sports side of it. Plus anything else you find on CBS sports. Um, and then just a ton of movies and kid stuff and family stuff too. Basically yeah. for free because all you have to do is pay half of what you would normally pay to read our stuff. Yeah. I was say, I, me personally, uh, you know, I think it's worth it to pay just to read Mike and I stuff. But, uh, you know, if you don't think that's the case, uh, how about for $4.48 a month, because it's 50% off, you not only get VIP subscription to our site with fewer ads, but you get all the sports that Mike just mentioned, CBS, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon. So that's Paw Patrol, SpongeBob, all that stuff your kids are going to watch, and hundreds of movies. With no commercials, yeah, which I, I honestly like. You know, some people are accusing me of, of of doing the hard sell on that first day. I really did not know that. That's crazy because you know they come out with these. Hey, you can have this for a cheap price, and then you find out you got to watch commercials every two minutes. No commercials, fewer ads, all the streaming service, all the WV coverage you can handle, four forty eight a month. Um, it's hard to beat that. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> it really is. And like, not that. Like, we get it. I don't know if you do, Chris. I get it because I'm an employee, right? 
And so I've had it for like a year and it keeps growing and growing and growing. I guess I've had it for almost two years now, but it's maybe 18 months and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And then, you know, there are times where there's a something on that you, you can't watch because there's something else on. So, for example, NFL games, you have a local um, game on there. Go to CBS and find a different one. It's not quite like the Red Zone channel, but you can do stuff like that around it. You can find stuff you're not going to find a traditional cable. They're throwing stuff on their stream. It's really good. And I'm not just saying this because like we're selling it now. I've had it again for like a year and a half, and it's it's pretty good. It's come in handy, and I've shared my password with people. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. But also, I've also like watched it a bunch. It's good too. And then, and this is not this is not just like please help us, please help us. But like it's really popular for a reason. Like a lot of people are getting into it, and I believe that we were number two in the network as of yesterday for signups. Yeah, I'm and not happy. Of, not happy about of, losing that number one spot, but. Right, but okay. there's a lot of people doing this. Is what I'm saying. So it's not just like, hey, they're trying to pitch this to you. No, I mean everybody's trying to pitch it, but everybody's getting it across the network here too yeah. because it's that good of a deal. So if, if again, just say like this to your spouse, your husband, or your wife, hey, I'd like to get CBS for half off, and you can also get Ear Sports, or I'd like to get Ear Sports for half off, and you can also get Paramount Plus for free. Throw that free word in a bunch. Also commercial free, it helps out too. But I'm a, uh, I'm impressed. That's like the best thing we've done. Like we do a bunch of goofy promos and things like that but i think it's probably the most attractive one yeah i would think so because a lot of those other promos are you know you get this x percent off and then but you don't get access to this cbs all access or paramount plus until that promo is over and and but now this is right away moment you sign up you get it and yeah when we when we first did this when cbs first offered this up a year and a half ago I don't want to say everybody's a pessimist, but there was a lot of, oh, yeah, we're going to get this for a month and then you can charge us more later. Uh And I was like, that's not the plan. And here we are almost two years later. And instead of raising the price, we're just giving you more and more and more. Price is the same, actually less if you jump in right now and you're just getting more and more and more. So take advantage of it while you can. There's there's far too many people, I don't know how, where we – pump this promo and pump this promo and pump this promo. And then the promo ends. And two days later, I get somebody coming up being like, Hey, can I get that promo? There's a time frame on this and I don't get to decide it. So yeah. if you want to jump in on this deal, do it while you can. All right, let's jump into the questions here. As always, readers ask questions. We answer as many as we can here. Chris peels off to the side and does a written, I don't know, supplement. Some are repeated, some are different. We'll probably have a lot of unique content in your written mailbag this week. Yeah. We so many questions today, but um, let's get to it. Yeah, let's go. Let's get, hey, let's go backwards a little bit first so we can just get it out of the way. Going back to that Texas game again, we had a lot of questions about the end game scenario, about fouls, what could have been called um, from p-s-a-l-n-m uh in the texas game with the last shot by sims have counted because it looked like he caught it 0.3 seconds on the clock it had to be a tip right um also if the shot had gone in this is from preston county uh could he go back and see if he got it off in time could they see if he got fouled so on and so forth so let's just kind of group all these questions together and talk about that last second shot mike and what could have been reviewed what should have been reviewed what could have been called what should have been called I'll give you the floor. All right. First, don't aim your arrows at me here because I use the word luck, use the words lucked out in a headline on something. <laughs> Our most commented on Facebook post in the last week, by the way. Very good. Go. Very you, you, uh, you headline and you know what? Well, you, you go. got to watch the video because they, <laughs> uh, Matthews pretty much says they lucked out because Andrew Jones, who, by the way, beat them at the Coliseum on a three, missed a wide open three and a perfect play. Wide open. Screen it for the inbounder. He passes it in. He works around. He gets wide open. It's a great look. And he said game. And and you can watch. He says something to the effect of, like, how the F did that not go in? Because it, it did go in. It just rattled out. It was a Sean McNeil special. Um, and then I don't know how, but they got a great look with three-tenths of a second left, which is what we'll talk about here. You can go over the three-tenths rule. But if it goes in, they absolutely review that. And I think they absolutely wave it off. Um, however, they cannot call foul. They cannot, for example, call Gabo Saboyan for a hold because Shaka Smart was very mad about that, and I don't think that he was wrong to be um, requesting an explanation there. Someone, I forget who in the postgame, asked McBride if he had fouled Sims, and and McBride was definitely in a uh uh-oh moment. I'm not sure he fouled him, but he certainly got in there as best as he could. They can't call a foul after that. I think the only thing that they can do after the fact would be to, if there was a flagrant foul, 
So like if, for example, Osaboyan had gotten an elbow up on the cut and that's what helped the guy and he had flagrantly elbowed somebody or if McBride had done something flagrant, they can maybe look at that and, and, and retroactively assess that. But they can't do common fouls, I don't believe, um, in a situation like that. However, the rule book opens up a lot in the final two minutes. And you can look at a few things. I remember the ridiculous Texas Tech UVA championship game where the game unfortunately swung on the ball going off Davide Moretti's pinky with like 20 seconds left, and that was the end of the game there too. And I, I hate it, but they can go back and they can look at things for possession, clock situations, but assessing fouls in a common foul, I don't believe they can do that, and they probably wouldn't have been able to do that. But that the time on the clock is what's probably most important here, right? Yeah, so I, I think this is a rule that we've all kind of mentioned in the past. We've heard it. We've talked about it, the .3 second rule. And – when you and I were trying to look up more on it to make sure that it applies to college and when it started to apply to college, um, found out it's called the Trent Tucker rule. And it is basically saying that with 0.3 seconds or less, the only possible way that you can score a basket is by a tip that it has been determined that you cannot physically catch the ball and go through a full shooting motion to shoot it. So, that shouldn't have counted because uh, it wouldn't have counted. I don't think even if there, you know, he had made it because Sims caught it with both hands, gripped it with both hands and did a shooting motion to put it in. So I think that that should have been waved off. And I wonder if they would have been allowed to review and been like, Hey, he did a shooting motion instead of a tip in. Um, and, and I mean, cause it, it, he did a shooting motion. It should have counted. So they couldn't have done that. They couldn't have gone back and looked at the foul. I think it would have been waved off. No matter what. Interesting tidbit on this rule, Mike, by the way, while we're doing our little research. Everything, you know, they'll say everything comes back to West Virginia. Do you know who pushed for this rule change and, and why it ended up being uh, being what it is? Uh, you know, it started in the NBA. It's called the Trent Tucker rule because Trent Tucker, you know, just a, a role player for the Knicks in 1990, hit a three-pointer with 0.1 seconds left. And <laughs> he's like, how, how do you hit... How do you catch the ball, cock it, and go through a full shot in 0.1 seconds? That's impossible. Um, they counted it, though. And Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, petitioned to the NBA that it should never have counted. And nobody really said anything or did anything except for a one Mr. Rod Thorne, hey. former West Virginia superstar Rod Thorne, stepped in and said, no, that's impossible, and sided with the Bulls, pushed for it, Went through, and a couple years later, the NBA passed the rule that there had to be at least 0.4 seconds on the clock for there to be an actual shot taken. And then, you know, later was implemented by FIBA and NCAA and so on and so forth. Lucky for us. <laughs> it all comes back to West Virginia, Mike. So uh, there goes that one. Um, let's stick with basketball. Another question. This one from Bryson Harvey. Who is the most indispensable player for WVU outside of McBride and Culver? It feels like the team rises to the challenge whenever a player's out or playing poorly. All right, Mike? we're going we're gonna to pull the names from two jars here, so I'm going to let you have yours. I'm not going to go in there, but I'm going to reach my hand in my jar. And there are two names that I look at because it seems to me that their performance is always indicative of something good happening for the team. And they play an important position that really no one else can play. And it's either Jalen Bridges or Emmett Matthews for me. Um, I don't know that they're entirely indispensable because, to be frank, they have won games without one or both of them at a time. So that's probably not the right answer, which makes me lean into your jar, and I don't want to do that. But I do think that there's something about Matthews and Bridges, Matthews or Bridges, that is somewhat indispensable because like, just Bridges is a really good shooter. When he's square and he's got his shoulder set and he gets that quick release – um, it looks really good and, and defenses get worried and Matthews is just a different, a different player. He's not a shooter. Um, by the way, did you know his career three point numbers? I was surprised. No. What is it? 28%. Mm. So well, I'm not that, I'm not that surprised by that. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. It's still pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, we saw good Matthews, but the thing is that neither one of them is very consistent. Matthews has been pretty much who he's been for his entire career. It's 84 games. Back-to-back double figures just six times. Now, that's not very good. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe 14, 15 double-figure games in his career. Beyond, it's just tough. So 
I don't know that you can call those guys indispensable because they don't really consistently do it. But I just think that if they're on, it makes them really, really hard to beat. So if you can have if you can have somebody be on consistently, that helps the team out the most. I would probably say Bridges because Matthews probably is going to be best doing what he's done for again, you know, two and a half seasons now, where he's just kind of a a meddling player in different areas. He's good at a couple things and, and is never really great at anything, but you look down at the end of the game and he's done some stuff to help you win and you can't win without him too. But your answer is going to be different. It's funny when we, when we pick out questions for the podcast, we're kind of, you know, Hey, we don't want to pick something that maybe we're both going to have the same answer on. And I asked, I said, hey, we're just going to have the same answer for this one. And you rattled off those two names to start. And I was like, well, I was thinking of two other names. Like, we're not even close on this one. Um, not that I think, you know, your questions are, cra- your your answers are crazy or those answers are crazy. And like you said, you started thinking about one of my guys too. And I'm, I'm torn between McNeil and Sherman because I think it's so important that somebody be able to create a shot. And both Sherman and McNeil can do it. We saw McNeil in this last game, you know, first half got in trouble foul trouble, played two minutes, zero points, zero, didn't even attempt a shot. West Virginia falls way behind. Second half, he plays 18 of 20 possible minutes, scores 16 points, leads the charge on the comeback, hits three threes, sparks the fight that we mentioned earlier between Texas players. Um, But we've also seen Taz Sherman do that as well in games, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really up to par in the Texas game, you know, only four points in the second half and all of them on free throws, but He's had those games, too, where he's just hit clutch shot after clutch shot and been somebody that's been able to create when West Virginia can otherwise, you know, not not score the best uh, the 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 ball. So I think I was kind of torn on on which one of those. And I know before I said if we were picking that three on three team, Sherman would be my guy. It's close. It's close between Sherman and McNeil. And, uh, you know, maybe recency bias is making me think McNeil. But um I might be leaning toward towards towards McNeil now. Like I just I'm flip flopping back and forth between those two. Yeah, I, I would go Sherman, and because here's the thing, I I can't stand long two pointers, and like Sherman has made me like appreciate the mid range two pointer just because he's so good at getting a shot. He's just really good at it. McNeil's getting better at it, but Sherman's just Sherman's good from like twenty feet, but also like nineteen feet to two feet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a weird game for him too, and he could have it, he could not have it, but. Um, all good picks, and this has kind of been the thing about this roster from the very beginning. There's there's a bunch of different ways they can match up with you, and it's going to take a team. This is this is a lot easier said than done when they had Sheway, but it was going to take a, a unique team to be able to throw something at West Virginia that they couldn't match up with their counter. And a little bit more difficult now that a guy like Sheway, but still they can do some things to you with different lineups. Four guys we just mentioned that they can move around different spots to give you different combinations that makes them tough to beat, and they're going to be offensive minded the entire time. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Moving on with some more basketball. Um, this one's interesting. This is not entirely West Virginia related, but love this question. We, I actually didn't know it was happening, but um, from Willie G, 2013, the WCC teamed up with Ken Palm to seed the conference tournament due to having an unbalanced schedule. Could you see the Big 12 doing something similar this year since every team won't be playing 18 games? I love this. I thought it was like I read through it the first time and I thought it was a hypothetical. Like what if the WCC and Ken Palm, one of those things, I didn't realize that it was actually happening. And it's a pretty cool thing that they're doing because they're not going to have a way to say based on an entire schedule, here's who's first, here's who's second, here's who's third. Um, I think they play 16 games 
uh, in the West Coast Conference. So they got to figure out a way to do it because logically, if everybody isn't playing the same thing, then you can't grade them the same. So they're they're going to have a bunch of different metrics that they use. And Kempom's, I think I think Kempom is one of them that they're using to help seed, and it it kind of works out pretty well because that's the best you can do with the available data. I don't. Here, here's my thing. I don't know if the Big Twelve can do that or will do that. Um, but they can't. They're not going to get 18 games. I think one team is going to play 18 for sure in the regular season. That's Kansas. Everybody else is going to have to play two to three to four more games in the extra week. Actually, maybe six if you count Baylor. Um, four extra games for Baylor. I'm sorry. So, like, what are we doing? You're compromising the conference tournament and maybe the postseason beyond that if you're making teams play 18 just to play 18. Just so everybody has 18. That's not fair. That's not right. You're you're. It's detrimental at some point. And then if you're not going to have 18 for everybody, how do you get to a fair seating in the Big 12? You're going to have to do something that's data-driven. Um, net, Ken Palm, whatever. I think you have to find a way to do it. But here's my question, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they can take a team that played 14 games, a team that played 18 games, a team that played 17 games, and because of teams that have to use that extra week to seed for um, Kansas City. I think you can find a way to use that final week to create seedings for Kansas City. So my thought here is similar to what we had last time. Um, you can kind of take Kansas out of this. They're done Saturday, believe it or not. Um, I think they'll probably try to play a non-conference game in the extra week because they have one spot left. But your, currently your first, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh teams have a lot of basketball left to play in these final week plus extra week. Scrap everything that has to be done in the extra week to make up games. So, like, for example, West Virginia has to play TCU. Nope. Make that West Virginia-Oklahoma. Um, Baylor has to play, I want to say there's an Iowa State game in there. I'm not sure. Nope. Make sure Baylor plays at West Virginia. So find a way to use that extra week to somehow legitimize your seedings and your standings for Kansas City, too. I'm not saying you have to call in Kempom. You can get that out of the way because you can make – that final week of the season really mattered to break ties, to establish order, to make sure that your top six, whatever top eight is perfectly clear. I don't know how you do it, but just playing the rest of the regular season isn't going to accomplish anything because you're going to have these holes and blind spots that you're going to have to go outside to address. And I don't think there's anything wrong with using data like Ken Palm or whomever to do this, but I just think there's a way to actually do it on the court where you set something up in that final extra week to actually sort things out. Um, I'm with you mostly. I don't think they should create a game like West Virginia, Oklahoma, number three, but there should absolutely be like, you, like you, the Baylor one you mentioned, I, did you say they had to play o- Iowa state still too? I think they had like, to play like half the conference. They only like, played nine games, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like screw that game. Baylor doesn't need to go beat Iowa state by 40. That doesn't need to happen. Nobody cares. That won't affect or change anything. Baylor versus West Virginia is a higher priority than Baylor versus Iowa State. Make it happen some way, somehow. And and if you basically what I'm saying is if we're going to end up with some teams playing 16 games, then I want those two teams, two games that aren't played. Sorry, TCU, Kansas State, and Iowa State. I want those two games that aren't played to be games against those teams. Like that, that just I know it's not. It can't really work out that way because uh, what TCU's only got 11 right now conference games, so they're going to have to play some in here but you can't i'm with just just the perfect example is baylor and if they're having to choose between baylor playing iowa state or baylor playing west virginia they better play baylor west virginia instead like there's zero point in playing iowa state at this point of the season for baylor and trying to force that game in um will the big 12 do anything with ken palm or any kind of formula no and it's not because it's a bad idea, a terrible idea, or these rankings are are bad or, or inaccurate or whatever. It's because of hubris. They won't do that in season on the fly like that. They just just a big institution like the Big Twelve can't do that or won't do that. The WCC, the smaller schools, they'll get creative and innovative and try things like that. But you won't see a team, you won't see a conference like the Big Twelve or the ACC or the SEC or or whatever you know the quote unquote Power Fives try that. Yeah, let me let me just clarify my point here too. Like creating a game, I would do that to fix or to prevent a tie. That's going to be something weird. Like you, you're going to have a situation where a team plays fewer games and has taken on less risk for loss 
yeah. that's higher in the standings than a team that's played more. So you might find a way to cure that by saying, listen, uh, hypothetically, again, I'm just going to use this because I already did it once, but like, let's just say that Oklahoma is going to play fewer games in West Virginia and it gets higher. Well, if West Virginia can beat them and get up there, maybe you make that happen as opposed to West Virginia TCU, which doesn't have to happen, or West Virginia, what's the other game that has to be made up? Oklahoma State, that's actually a worthy game there. Yeah. Just different things to do that. And then again, look at the schedule. Like, do we, like, Actually, Baylor's tonight against Iowa State, I was thinking. But Baylor plays Baylor plays TCU. Why? I would much rather have, like, Baylor against, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of who would be up here. They already have one against Kansas at the end of the week. But Baylor against, uh, maybe get the second West Virginia game in. Maybe get a Texas Tech game in. Find something there that actually does impact and that makes your champion or your top of the conference, you know, one, two, three teams, legitimizes them. Like, hey, we didn't give you the bottom of the conference, but you didn't play everybody. We gave you a concentrated formula here at the end. That there's got to be a way to do that. Yeah, because and and it sometimes, but the, the example I'm thinking of off the top of my head kind of works the other way. We're playing more games worked out at least so far, and that was with Kansas because I went and before Saturday's game, Kansas was the two seed. Kansas was number two in the standings. And the reason being because they got to rattle off a streak of games where they played Iowa. They they made up that Iowa State game, got to play Iowa State twice, got to play Kansas State twice. They still have games against Baylor and Texas left, you know, two of, two of the top teams still remaining in the league. But they got to cram in all four of those games against Iowa State and Kansas State in the last week and jumped Oklahoma and West Virginia, two teams that were, yeah. um, you know, ahead of them. And that's because of the winning percentage, which in, in hindsight doesn't seem like a great idea. Uh, you know, they got to figure out a, a better way to do that. And that's what Ken Pomeroy does. He has adjusted winning percentage, which accounts for a whole bunch of stuff and says that your your five and two is actually more like, you know, seven and oh, because of this, this, this and this. And all of a sudden that team that's five and two goes up a little bit more because of the adjusted winning percentage. Right, it's not just uh, like and not just how he's he ranks teams in his formula. He's going by adjusted winning percentage. Let's uh, let's flip script to basketball a little bit. We'll save the the, the travel question for the end. Um, this is from J Mole, nineteen eighty nine. Do you see any other potential football players transferring? Also, what positions should WV use the remaining scholarships for, given the most recent transfer? Yeah, people are going to transfer, and we've been over this a bunch. They have five spots, right? Yeah. So you're looking at. They've we almost even ranked these before too, but interior, defensive line, interior, offensive line, receiver. This is where you get tricky, I guess, right? Linebacker. Um, yeah, probably. I would probably put him above even linebacker, above receiver. And then that that last one could be different. You know, could you get another lineman? Either one of them, maybe. Um, I would think really hard about cornerback now, and maybe even like just defensive back in general, because while they're their secondary is going to be young next year, probably um, at least their back end. So I would be looking for somebody who can maybe play obviously this year because everybody will be eligible, but somebody who can be around for a couple of years too. I would, I would slot cornerback higher than certainly I would have two weeks ago, but I'm not sure I'd put him above an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman or a linebacker. I'd probably be my fourth pick there. Uh, I'm with you. I think that, that, younger defensive back like a transfer that has three years left or something is it took on renewed importance i think it was already in the picture given how as you mentioned like the safety spots in particular are really old and somehow still really young like you know it's like senior 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 and then or well i guess tyke smith will be a sophomore technically or junior whatever you know in his third year this coming year but then his last like likely gone to the nfl right so my point being that you're going to have all three safety spots probably wide open in 2022. So you really want to get some, uh, some kind of not true freshman safety back there, help uh, three year guy, four year guy, whatever. Um, linebacker, man. It may be higher. Yeah. I, I'm just really torn on it. Cause we saw just how important that Tony Fields edition was. Uh, I mean, right when it, before the years or before the summer, how important it was to add somebody at that spot when Tony West Virginia got in the mix for Tony Fields. We talked about how important it was that they got him just because he could specifically make such a difference. And then he did. And I think, you know, if you can shore up that one way, I mean, there are ways to make it work without him. And we've talked about it before, uh, maybe bulking up uh, somebody and moving them to will and moving uh, 
Chandler Semedo inside. Extra low has experience, so it's not a dire situation, but it's not ideal. And when you have a, a really good looking rest of the defense, you you really want to shore that up. So I, I think linebacker would be a little higher for me, but yeah, I mean those are the five I think. And and yes, there will be transfers. I think maybe you're on a pause now. You know, th- th- there are waves. It comes in waves. It, it comes right at the end of the season, like in December, when guys want to get out so that they can get to their new school in time for January. Then it comes in late January, early February, when guys, quite frankly, uh, make a business decision, make sure that they get that scholarship money for the spring, and then announce that they're entering the transfer portal because then they can't lose that scholarship money. And then it's going to come in like May or late April after spring football is over. They do their exit interviews with the coaches. And, you know, say you're like a junior and spring football is over and the coach is like, yeah, you're going to be our, you know, third string receiver. Like, okay, I'm going to enter the portal and try to find some place where I can play. And and that's understandable, but that that's why you see these transfer portal situations every once in a while, you'll see them sprinkled in throughout the year, but it's mostly going to be December and then January, February, and then May. And that's just kind of how it works out. I have a question for you off the cuff here. Go. Is Dre Miller any type of a trendsetter in that a junior college player just gets in? Let's say he he let's say you're Louisiana Monroe or the or your or Troy or Coastal Carolina and you want to play like you're tired of playing in Mississippi or Kansas or California for two years and you said, listen, I just got to get a scholarship. Um, I'm really good, but I can't get into LSU right now. I can't get into West Virginia right now. I can't get into Florida State right now. I'm gonna go put in a really good year at this Sunbelt school, this AAC school, this Mac school. And then I'm going to transfer again. Because I can. And if you're one of those group of five schools, would you take advantage of that just to get one good year of a junior college player knowing he might leave again? I would, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd pull out all the stops if I were a group of five or, or lower kind of school trying to figure that out, yeah. But do you think guys will do two for two from junior college? I think so. Wait, did Mike, did you just call West Virginia a group of five school? No, did I? A max school? Did I? <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess I did indirectly, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, kind of indirectly there. Uh, well, I, I, well, I, think, I just I, That's yes. a good point. Yeah, the semantics, you got me there. Yes. Okay, because it just seems like you can do that now at the immediate eligibility. And like I think a hard thing for junior college players is just to get on the field. Like They, they weren't seen. They didn't have tape. They played one year, redshirted one, whatever reason. You know these very well. Um, and then – it takes them almost two years sometimes to get themselves where they want to be. And then time's up. They can't really get on the stage. If you just play really well and you're all conference in a group of five school, look, power five schools will bend over backwards to accommodate one year players, right? That just fit a hole so they can keep that machine going and going and going. And then all of a sudden, again, your group of five West Virginia school loses a guy like Dre Miller to a Auburn school. that just needs a guy for a year, right? And again, that's not a good analogy because West Virginia is not. They're more likely to take advantage of this than to be taken advantage of. I get that. But my point is that you could see junior college guys just land somewhere for one year, bet on themselves, almost like going to junior college again, and then shine and cash in. Podcast title. Group of five school, West Virginia, Lux out, grabs, <laughs> recruit. Five Mike Kasaza. Got it. Done. Exclusive it on, on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I'm going to have to skip a couple because I was I was going to ask another one or two before we got to the travel thing. But can you believe it, Mike? We're already at about an hour. Um, I don't know. Okay. There's nobody that likes to hearing ourselves talk more than you and I. Here we go. Right. Um, this one's from Earman. Started it off. First question in the thread, and and I liked it. Um, mainly because I already got one locked and loaded and ready, and I'm sure. Since you've been doing this a lot longer than me, you got a good one. This will be an interesting travel week for the Mountaineers. Any good or nightmare personal travel stories about your time while covering WVU athletics? Listen, the the nightmares are also good because you've, you've got to love the stuff that drives you crazy to do this. You just do. Um, so it, I, I can't pull out like just one specific one because one for so many years I did this and traveling, like I have like a thousand Marriott nights in my life. It's crazy. <laughs> but like, and, and I've done the, the 
two game road trips with the team two or three times a year. I've done bowl weeks. I've done NCAA and big 12 and big East tournaments. We were gone for a long time. So, um, after a while it becomes kind of formulaic where you're really good at it and you kind of avoid a lot of the potholes. The trouble is when you're young and you're dumb and you're just like, Oh, hotel. Oh, let me get the cheapest thing I can. Oh, let me save my company some money. Like, that's where you get in the trouble and that's where i used to so like when i worked at the dominion post and when i was younger working at the daily mail um you know finances are tough and you try to cut some corners and you know i stayed in some bad neighborhoods and some bad hotel rooms i can remember covering a game in miami once where i could see the arena from where i was and as i was leaving the doorman said um hey can i get you a cab and i said no i'm just walking to the arena he goes no you're not <laughs> i was like what do you mean he goes let me get you a cab. I was like, why? He goes, cause you're not going to make it back. <laughs> I was like, give me that cab. Yeah. So you just, you just learn like where to stay and what not to do. But I mean, I, I, I loved the, the two game trips because you could, you could find a way to get stuff in the middle too. And the teams kind of like to view around. And, you know, sometimes you would just because there's not a lot of places to stay in this and, and, you know, Teams like to use Marriott points and, and loyalty points to end up at the same hotel and you have a day in between games and you might be in the lobby with somebody having a coffee talking about the game. So that was cool. Um, I would go further back to some stuff, too. And this is kind of funny. Um, John Beeline's teams used to fly commercial. And um, it's there's only so many flights to Boston from Morgantown or from Pittsburgh the day before a game that are early in the morning. And I would get on the same plane with them sometimes just by pure luck. Um, and you'd have to sit next to Mike Gansey or JD Collins or Joe Airbear or Jeff Newbauer or Matt Brown. And like, I'm like the, the ethical guy where I don't really want to be on their time and I'm on my time or anything like that. And I won't talk to them, but like, what are you going to do? Are you going to ignore Joe Airbear for two hours? Are you not going to talk to Jeff Newbauer for two hours? So like, I would just talk to them on the plane and get to know him. And I can remember one time, this is, this is funny. I remember one time being on a plane with Newbauer next to Newbauer going to going, coming back from Providence and they had just lost Shafino day, day before, week before, whatever. They just lost Shafino. He, he quit the team, and he was gone. And I probably was, like, not their favorite person because I kind of wrote a bunch about that, and I was talking to Drew at the time, and he was really burying the coach and the program and the team. And I'm just thinking, like, well, good thing I won't be on the flight with these guys home because I'm sure they got out of here the morning after the game, and they just got clubbed by Providence. And sure enough, I'm on the same flight with them, and sure enough, I'm sitting next to Jeff Newbauer. And I'm just like, oh, no, this is going to be really awkward. Right. Mm-hmm. Just written a whole bunch about how the, the best player in the team doesn't like the team and this and that or whatever. And I don't know, we get wheels up or in the air and new Bauer leans over and he goes, Hey Mike, I got to ask you a question. I'm like, up oh, here we go. What do you think of Marcus doubt it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like the seven footer for Providence. I had like a small NBA career and I was like, huh? And, and that's when I realized that like, I'm not nearly as important as I think I am. Right. I'm not in these, these guys are part of my everyday life. I'm not really part of theirs, right? And that was an important yeah. lesson going. Um, so the travel stuff like that was cool because you'd be around a bunch and you'd be in the same hotels and like you were allowed to go to the gym the day before a game to talk to them. Everything's changed since then. Commercial flights, they don't tell you where they're staying sometimes. Um, you're not allowed to shoot arounds or practices. So it's all different now and it's kind of not as fun that way. But you still find ways to do stuff. So the, the key to all this is finding your side trip when you go somewhere. So I miss the USF trip because you're near Eber City and you're near Clearwater. So you would get there really early on Friday for the 7 o'clock game on Saturday, and you have like a whole day and a half to yourself. Dave Hickman from the Gazette was really good at this. Um, and we would find cool restaurants like the Columbia in Eber City to eat or uh, Frenchies down in Clearwater. So the trip was one part for work, but you had to make sure you were doing the fun stuff on the side. So almost every big city in the Big 12 and in the Big East, um, you could find little neighborhoods and little pockets to hang out in too. The other part about it too was like, one, fly early and then try to and like if they ever say, hey, we need someone to get bumped from this flight because, you know, we need to get two people on this flight. and We only have one seat. We'll give you a voucher. If you give up your seat for this flight. So if you got a 630 flight in the morning out of Pittsburgh, there were times that I didn't fly like two o'clock because I got two vouchers because I kept giving up my seat in the flight and I was just gaming the system. And all of a sudden I'd have a nice little vacation vouchered up for later on um, hotels. You'd find ways to get upgrades and points and things like that, too. Um, and then, like, scary stuff happens, too. Like, I've been in rental cars where I tried to swerve and not hit an armadillo <laughs> in Stillwater, and I totaled my rental car. <laughs> like, I, I just destroyed the wheel. Um, like, I had to, like, swerve, and I hit a median really hard and blew up the tire. 
I, I looked like I had a square instead of a wheel on my front left side. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm on Stillwater. It's 10 o'clock at night. The armadillo was safe, by the way. Um, but what do I do? And like the rental car company just came and got my car and dropped another one off. And like, I was like, well, this is going to really hit my, my insurance on my credit card hard. I never heard about it. <laughs> like nice. I still, I, four years later, I still check my credit card to see if I'm going to get some type of bill on it. And I don't, I never got it. Um, Valentine's day E February 13 of 2011. My plane spun out in Syracuse landed and it spun out <laughs> and like, it was my brother-in-law's birthday and he was returning a call. I called him before I left. And when I landed, I turned my phone on and my, my heart beats like two ten at this point. Um, he calls, he's like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> and so like, that was bad. And then I, I was in Iowa for two straight presidential elections for the caucuses, which is awful. Like you can't get around town or do anything like that. And then as luck would have it coming home one time, blizzard, try renting a rental car in Des Moines. The day of the Iowa caucus. Yeah. <laughs> And like driving to Chicago to get in the plane or driving to Milwaukee to get in the plane. I forgot what we did, but that was Justin Jackson. And I got a four wheel drive to get to, I want to say it was Milwaukee, maybe. Um, that was bad. Uh, Notre Dame. I stayed in South Bend and the hotel pipes burst and flooded the breakfast buffet area. So no oh, shower, no. no shower and no breakfast buffet that morning, too. Double whammy. Um, what are some other? I mean, just a lot of them. Like I can keep going and going and going here. The, tr- the thing is, like, if you travel a lot, things are going to happen. Like you're you're going to get better at avoiding things, but like just dumb luck happens too. You can't avoid it. I could probably devote like an entire podcast as opposed to like six minutes rambling here on it. But um, I would say this: West Virginia probably has it really easy. Like they're on a charter flight. They kind of get like ushered to and from and through security. You still got to go through security, but it's like their own security. They're getting onto a bus. The bus picks them up at the tarmac, and they're they're driving somewhere. Like, listen, I I get it. It's not easy doing what they're doing because they're gone for so long. But like, they've smoothed out the edges pretty good here. Let's be serious. I I love that you started things off with the biggest mistake was when you were younger and you're trying to save money on this because mm-hmm. that leads to my worst, my nightmare, and my good. Both. We'll start with the good because it's quick and easy. But one time it was one of the recruiting camps is like a couple of them in a row down in Morgantown. I guess it was the ones in July, if I'm remembering correctly. Cause isn't that when the biker rally is too yeah. in Morgantown? Well, yeah. 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 And so it was that weekend and there was a biker rally. Um, something else was going on. All of these camps, a team camp, like seven, I can't remember if it was team camp too. So there's, a, and so all these places were booked. Every hotel in Morgantown was booked. I had to stay out at Cheat Lake and ended up out at some, I can't even remember what it's called, but it, it was it was attached to a, um, uh, a golf course. Lakeview. Lakeview. And I had to stay there. And I only got in there because I did like a random, what was it called? Is it Orbits or Priceline where you can pick a hotel blindly for like half price? And it stuck me there. And I was like, why is this place so cheap? This is attached to a golf course. I'd never been there. And they were having like a uh, little teen pageant there. Just like a thousand. Uh, what's that t- thing was on TLC? Like dance moms running around with their little girls, like all this stuff. Impossible to get around. Couldn't get anywhere. Finally did, you know, got into the camps, then had to drive all the way back out there for to stay and do my work. And then finally, I think on the last night, I was like, oh, my God, the the, the pageant people are gone. Finally, camps are done. Getting ready for fall camp It's early on. We don't, you know, the site's young. I'm trying to save money. And then I just go down to have uh, like the cheapest sandwich with like a drink at the bar in walks three assistant coaches from WVU yeah. and great time had by all. Believe it that awesome time. And then the worst, Pinstripe Bowl. I'm sure that was a oh my uh, terrible time for a lot of people. But, you know, it was in New York City. At the time, I was living in Boston. And I drove in, or didn't drive in. I, I rode in on one of the, the buses, the gray, like a regular Greyhound bus, came in. And for those who don't remember, I mean, it was miserable. It was like rain slash snow slash sleet. Uh, it was terrible in the press box because it was a baseball field. So... 
it was an open air press box. So we're all sitting in there on our computers with snow and water just coming in, hitting us. Uh, Mike might have been in. I all, all the all the younger guys were in the front row. Uh, the newbies were in the front row getting snowed on. Mike might have been in the back with the the space heater on his feet, like the uh, uh, like the SID and stuff were. But it was terrible. Uh, to top it all off, they made you pay to get press food. Uh, it still sticks in my brain. You know, was it ten years later, nine years later? Mm-hmm. Um, and as the game was ending, you know, basically everybody there is talking about how they're getting back to Pittsburgh, how they're going west, trying to get back to Morgantown, get back to Pittsburgh, get back home. But I'm going east, back to Boston. And that storm that was coming in was coming in off the ocean. And they shut down all trains, all buses, everything going back to Boston. And the hotels in New York, already expensive, were getting more expensive by the minute. And I didn't want to spend that money. And anybody... Maybe I don't know how many people listening to this do the, say, D.C. to New York to Boston, that kind of range. If you don't want to pay for the train, they have this thing called the Chinatown bus that literally runs from Chinatown to Chinatown. Chinatown in D.C. to Baltimore to New York to Boston. And it got in in some trouble there for a while because they literally just run it hours on end. Don't follow safety protocols. It's extremely cheap. And it was the only one willing to go to Boston that night. And I hopped on that bus. Oh, God. And was just like, close your eyes and just pray you wake up in Boston and not on the side of the road. And I just remember we couldn't see anything. It was just snow. Uh, you know, we got back to Boston and we ended up with like three feet of snow that weekend in Boston. Got back to South Station in Boston, which was still. I mean, a 20-minute ride just because it's downtown and moving all around. Uh, taxi back, but no taxis were out because it was like 3 in the morning and there was three feet of snow on the ground. So I then had to walk like two and a half miles with my backpack, with the laptop in it, all the way back to my house at 3 in the morning and three feet of snow after riding on the Chinatown bus back from New York City after watching West Virginia put on one of the worst bowl performances I have ever seen in that loss to Syracuse in the pinstripe bowl. Oh, man. I think the postseason trips are always the most fun. Yeah, <laughs> except because, for that one. Well, yeah, yeah. But the adventure, like, now, I'm, I'm going to be the contrarian here, of course. I like the pinstripe bowl. I've never, I've covered a, a million games. I've never covered something like that before. So maybe like it isn't the right word, but it was unique. It was different. And, like, at this point, at that point, just going to be something I haven't done before. I could have could have used a little bit warmer, but, like, snow, Open air press box, Yankee Stadium, that was pretty cool. But the commuting that week was awful. Like West Virginia practice at Fordham, which is a really cool campus in um in the Bronx. Uh, but we stayed in Brooklyn. That's not near anything. And they got you on like this this like charter bus and they took you back and forth. But like the weather was so bad. Like one day we got caught in it real bad. And like it was a two hour trip to go like fifteen miles to get back from practice. That was bad too. Um for sheer chaos of of the actual trip and travel, the Fiesta Bowl and the twenty ten Russell Athletic Bowl were just just chaos because of the coaching stuff that was going on and the amount of stuff I did like getting a call at eleven thirty to go meet somebody in the hotel bar or to come to their room and just talk about coaching changes, coaching situations, and like I'll just say this: there are people who were checked out <laughs> for both those teams. They were in administration and staff, and they were on their way out, and they wanted to talk. So just the weirdest hours on those trips because they were so strange. And then the best times were the the Big East tournaments, the two thousand and five Big East tournament. Or like West Virginia was the toast of Manhattan. That was cool. Um, and those were like amazing games, but also like late at night and, and like those games at end and, and like New York City is awake. And what are you going to do? You're not going to go to bed at 11 o'clock when you've seen Villanova, West Virginia play that game. And Alan Ray fouls Mike Gainsey and makes two free throws and the game's over. I'm going to go to bed. No way, man. <laughs> and then uh, the year they won it, too, there was that bar across the street from the garden called Harrington's. And that was like the official after party place for all the games. And and West Virginia just slowly took that place over to the point now, like, I swear that Huggins wants to play games in the New York City area just so he can hang out with his friend Ken at Harrington's, the, the bartender at Harrington's, because they were so hospitable to them. And like that became like the unofficial bar for West Virginia during those those New York City trips, too. Um, I don't know what it is. Postseason stuff is just way more interesting. I think it's because you're there longer and you kind of feel like you're moving in a little bit. And and just the games are so so unique and so different, too. But 
regular season trips are so hurried and you, you have to cut corners and, you, and you're up all night because you got an early flight that they're not nearly as enjoyable as the postseason ones do. I think that was a good way to end it. That was a nice, nice little uh, trip down memory lane for both of us. I'm sure there's more, probably others that can't be discussed. Yeah, publicly. yeah, that's the one thing too. I'm not, I don't live <laughs> in my Marriott, by the way. <laughs> it's nice typically, but like I, I do like to live and go out and do stuff too. More so when I was younger than now, but like there are chapters that are just they're they're after after 9 p.m. Yeah, and and that that might be under the new. Uh, what what, are they, what did we call it before when we were joking around about Ear Sports VIP Plus? Yeah, right. We'll, see. <laughs> we'll add to that uh, add to that content uh, chain later. Uh, I heard that comes stores. free with your Paramount Plus subscription. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll be back later on today or tomorrow. Chris will answer some more of these questions and others that we did not touch in greater depth and detail online. Basketball game at seven and plenty of content, maybe from both sports, um, before and after as well. Yep, sounds good. That sounds good. Let's wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.